Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Today, the Supreme Court heard arguments in the case between Texas and the Biden administration over the Remain in Mexico policy. The justices pushed for answers to determine how they should interpret immigration law. President Biden is giving some convicted criminals a second chance. He's granting three pardons and reducing the sentences of 75 others. A man charged with 18 counts of capital murder. Last year, his trial ended with a deadlocked jury. How will it play out this time? Elon Musk is buying Twitter, but not everyone is happy about his free speech approach. Some even say it's dangerous to democracy and others are deleting their accounts. Attorney General Merrick Garland promises there will be no interference in the Hunter Biden investigation. This in response to a senator raising questions about the integrity of the probe. The state of Texas filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration to stop the numbers crossing the border from Mexico, and they won. But Biden's office took it to the Supreme Court. Today, the justices tried to unravel the complicated layers of immigration law. NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. Interpreting immigration law is no easy feat, not even for the Supreme Court justices. Today, the justices spent nearly two hours questioning attorneys for President Joe Biden and the state of Texas. Ultimately, they'll decide if the president can release migrants into the U.S. Under former President Donald Trump, asylum seekers were required to stay on the Mexico side of the border while they waited for immigration court proceedings. Justice Stephen Breyer asked Biden's attorney what's done with immigrants who come into the U.S. under special circumstances. Also there are three things you can do. One is, as you say, uh, confine them, you know, detain. And then number B is an exception, and number C is send them back to Mexico with the word may. Okay? Biden's attorney said there is no universal solution and that the provisions were added at different times for different reasons. Many of the justices noted that past administrations didn't comply with the law, but the Texas attorney argued it's better to have fewer violations. In a press conference after the hearing, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said Border Patrol can't handle the number of people coming in. They're having to manage hundreds of thousands of people crossing the border every month, and we don't have enough for the invitation. The invitation is greater than the capacity. An opinion from the court is not expected until late spring or early summer. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. President Biden is invoking his powers of presidential clemency for the first time. He's granting three pardons and commuting the sentences of 75 others. The White House made the announcements today along with its job training and re-entry initiatives for those in prison or recently released. Individuals receiving clemency from Biden include an 86-year-old former Secret Service agent convicted of bribery decades ago. They also include people who committed crimes but went on to reform and became role models. Trump had granted over 140 pardons and almost 240 clemencies during his four years in office. The retrial of a man charged with killing 18 women in the Dallas area began on Monday. The jury in the original trial deadlocked last fall. We hear more from NTD's Chenny Wu. The retrial of Billy Shimmermere began Monday, five months after a judge declared a mistrial in his first murder case. 
Shemamir faces 18 counts of capital murder for killing senior women in the Dallas area, but he's currently scheduled to stand trial only for the 2018 smothering of 81-year-old Luthi Harris. Most of the people Shemamir is accused of killing were found dead in their apartments at senior living facilities, where he allegedly forced his way in or posed as a handyman. He was arrested in 2018 after 91-year-old Mary Annis Bartell said a man forced his way into her apartment, attempted to smother her, and then stole her jewelry. Evidence then led officers to Shimamir. However, Shimamir maintains that he's innocent, and his attorney entered a not guilty plea for him on the charge. If convicted, Shimamir faces life in prison without parole. The trial is expected to last a week. Chenny Wu, NTD News. The manager of Johnny Depp's private island testified today. And Depp's legal team also brought in a forensic psychologist who diagnosed Amber Heard with two personality disorders. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. You could hear inside the house. Tara Roberts, who is the manager of Johnny Depp's private island, recalled a fight between Depp and Heard. Amber was telling him that he was a, a washed up actor. Um, he was going to die a lonely, a fat, lonely old man. Then you heard, uh, you hit me with a can. You heard Johnny say, you hit me with a can. And then he came down the steps. She said Depp then attempted to leave and heard followed him to a vehicle. Walked, he was just sitting in the seat. He, Amber came up to him and was asking him to come back in the house. That She was sorry, please come back in the house. Robert said she and her colleague then separated the two. Roberts walked Depp to a nearby cafe where she put ice on a gash on Depp's nose. Depp's legal team also brought in a clinical and forensic psychologist to testify. After reviewing Heard's mental health records and performing extensive psychological tests and 12 hours of interviews with Heard, she diagnosed Heard with histrionic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. She explained that borderline personality disorder displays itself as an instability of emotions, relationships, and sense of self with an underlying terror of abandonment. When somebody is afraid of being abandoned by their partner or by anybody else in their environment and they have this disorder, they'll make desperate attempts to prevent that from happening. And those desperate attempts could be physical aggression, it could be threatening, it could be harming themselves. But these are behaviors that are usually very extreme and very concerning to the people around them. Heard's attorneys say Depp physically and sexually abused Heard, and that Depp's denials lack merit because he was often drunk and high to the point of blacking out. Jason Perry, NTD News. Elon Musk, who calls himself a free speech absolutist, is in the process of buying Twitter. While some are applauding the acquisition, others are now worried that hate speech might be allowed on the platform. And a few even said they'd abandon their Twitter accounts in protest. On Monday, Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted, This deal is dangerous for our democracy. Billionaires like Elon Musk play by a different set of rules than everyone else. And an MSNBC legal correspondent also expressed concern about Musk using the platform to influence elections. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. Political commentator Dave Rubin fired back, saying, This is exactly what the machine left Democrats have done to their opponents for years. 
One Twitter user pointed out how during the 2020 election, Twitter suspended the Team Trump account. Black Lives Matter activist Sean King went as far as to delete his Twitter account in protest of the acquisition. He says about Musk, the man was raised in apartheid by a white nationalist. He's upset that Twitter won't allow white nationalists to target slash harass people. That's his definition of free speech. King has since reinstated his account. Musk himself previously said this about rules for the platform. A social media's platform's policies are good if the most extreme 10% on left and right are equally unhappy. It might take a few months for the purchase and the necessary paperwork to be finalized. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said on Friday that Disney would pay more taxes. That's as he signed a bill into law dissolving Disney World's special status, a status that had allowed the company to operate the region around its Orlando area theme parks as an independent government. But now, some say the state's residents will foot the bill. I spoke with tax expert Julio Gonzalez to learn more. Julio Gonzalez, CEO at Engineered Tax Services, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And the finer details of the dissolution of the Reedy Creek Improvement District have not been released yet, but based on what we know so far, will Disney have to pay more taxes, as the governor has said? Oh, there's no question about that. They'll have to pay several million dollars more in taxes. A big cost to them because of their pandering in politics. If it, Disney's costs go up, as you've mentioned they might, do you think Disney might actually leave the state? I don't think there's any possibility of that. Listen, they, they just bit the hand that fed them. We, Florida just gave them $500 million in tax incentives to move employees from California to Florida. So those would have a clawback incentive. So there's no chance they're moving back. I know there's a lot of states talking about trying to get them to Disney, but you have the infrastructure here, you have the employee base here, and ultimately you have all these incentives that Florida gives them, and you have low state tax here. So ultimately, I don't think there's any viability to that at all. Do you think this decision could affect Orange County and Osceola County taxpayers at all? You know, I know the media says that, that there's no chance that even Governor DeSantis said that if there's any raise in taxes, it would go to Disney Corporation and not the uh, citizens. So I know the media has been talking about that and how it could cost the uh, citizens of Florida, but there's absolutely no chance of that happening. I think they're going to raise the property taxes on Disney. Unless Disney and DeSantis get behind closed doors and end up negotiating something better, which is probably likely, right? And I'm sure this will be correct behind closed doors. So how do you anticipate this will play out for the governor politically? Will the payoff be worth it? Oh, I think so. I think he's showing that no corporation is bigger than the state government. And maybe instead of this, I think it'll play out well for Governor DeSantis and hopefully other states will realize that no corporation is worth these tax incentives when it costs you know, the people of the state in terms of taxes. Ultimately, corporations can really cost the stock value of their companies and the investors and the employees when they overstep their bounds when it comes to political views, especially when it comes to a federal stage. And I think, you know, we'll start to see corporations go back and take a step back and probably learn from this, like Major League Baseball, learn from getting involved in politics and moving the all-star games. And I think this will all have a 
an effect, but I think the effect will be a positive one for corporations going forward. Julia Gonzalez, CEO at Engineered Tax Services. Thank you. Thank you. Attorney General Merrick Garland says he won't allow any interference into the Justice Department's investigation of President Biden's son, Hunter Biden. NTD's Allison Lee has more. At a committee meeting on Tuesday, Senator Bill Haggerty asked Attorney General Merrick Garland whether he's been briefed on the Justice Department's investigation of Hunter Biden. Garland says the investigation is being run and supervised by the U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware. He is in charge of that investigation. There will not be interference of any uh, uh, political or improper kind. Haggerty noted that the White House says the president is confident his son did nothing wrong. The senator asked Garland, how can the American people be confident that the Biden administration is conducting a serious investigation? Because we put the investigation in the hands of a Trump appointee from the previous administration, who's the United States attorney for the District of Delaware, uh, and because you have me as the attorney general who is committed to the independence of the Justice Department from any influence from the White House in criminal matters. Hunter Biden first revealed the probe in late 2020, claiming prosecutors were investigating his tax affairs. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Secretary of State Antony Blinken testified at the Capitol today after coming back from Ukraine. What's next in the U.S. response to Russia and Ukraine, and what will Biden's strategy be toward China? NTD's Iris Tao has more. People eating outside, sitting on benches, it was right in front of us. The Ukrainians have won the battle for Kyiv. Making his first public appearance after his weekend trip to Kyiv, Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Tuesday testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So would President Biden be open to accepting Ukraine as an unaligned, neutral nation? We, Senator, are not going to be more Ukrainian than the Ukrainians. These are decisions for them to make. That said, Blinken is calling on Congress to approve more aid for Ukraine. He said it's to ensure both... Russia's war in Ukraine is a strategic failure for the Kremlin and serves as a powerful lesson to those who might consider following its path. While Blinken did not name who those tempted countries might be, some senators are making it clear. This all relates in a very real way with U.S. response to China's ambitions, the most important challenge facing the United States today. We started too late in providing security assistance to Ukraine. We cannot make the same mistake with Taiwan. The Secretary of State also noted that European countries are developing a, quote, deep skepticism over China's response to the war. China is paying a reputational cost for to be charitable about it sitting on the fence, never mind falling on the, the, the Russian side. In addition, Blinken said he will publicly address a national security strategy specifically towards China in the coming weeks. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. At Germany's Ramstein Air Base, the U.S. Defense Secretary today convened with military leaders from dozens of nations to discuss the Russia-Ukraine war. NTD's Jessica Beattie reports. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin kicked off defense talks with more than 40 countries at U.S. Ramstein Air Base in Germany Tuesday. He expressed confidence that Ukraine can win against Russia. Ukraine clearly believes that it can win. And so does everyone here. Austin called Russia's invasion baseless, reckless and lawless. And he assured Ukraine full support. And you should know that all of us have your back. 
and that's why we're here today, to strengthen the arsenal of Ukrainian democracy. Meanwhile, over in central Ukraine, in the city of Zaporizhia, people are building trenches to shore up the city's defenses, preparing for a possible attack. Really, the risks are really considerable, and I would not want to elevate those risks artificially. Many would like that. The danger is serious. Ukrainian authorities say two guided missiles were fired at the city Tuesday. The regional military administration said one person was killed and one was injured. It says infrastructure facilities were damaged and a third missile exploded in the air. And over in Russia, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov warned the West Monday not to underestimate the risk of nuclear conflict over Ukraine. The work here is a regular one. We build fortifications which will save lives of our warriors and will let them effectively defend the city. He also accused NATO of engaging in a proxy battle with Russia by supplying Kyiv with weapons. Russia sent troops into Ukraine on February 24th in what it called a special operation to demilitarize Ukraine and root out people it called dangerous nationalists. Lavrov, defending Moscow's actions, also blamed Washington for the lack of dialogue, saying, quote, the United States has practically ceased all contacts simply because we were obliged to defend Russians in Ukraine. Lavrov said the Ukrainian conflict will end with an agreement, but its content will depend on the military situation. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Coming up, a Florida sheriff arrests his own daughter in a drug bust, charging her for trafficking methamphetamine. The sheriff calls the arrest heartbreaking, but his honorable actions receive an outpouring of support. And the All England Club condemned for banning Russian and Belarusian players and why Wimbledon says it's not discrimination. That and more coming up. Navigating a world of economic madness. You need to have the right, what did today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Thank you for Many New York Republicans blame the rise in crime on the state's bail reform. They're now trying to reverse it and stop federal lawmakers from implementing similar measures on a national level. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more from Brooklyn. Here in this area of southern Brooklyn, crime is up in almost every category. And that's a trend seen all over New York City. Today, a number of speakers came here to address that issue. Murder is up 27 percent. Rape is up 20 percent. Robbery is up 67 percent. Congresswoman Maliotakis told me police can't do their job if the suspects they arrest are being let go on the same day because of current bail laws. Look, one of our big fights on the federal level is to stop that bail law from becoming national policy. Nancy Pelosi tried to put bail reform in the COVID relief package at the end of 2020. They actually tried to sneak it in there with all their other COVID spending. Most violent crime in New York is committed by a small number of people, so-called repeat offenders. These are people that are getting locked up 
printed and let back out on the street for four, uh, four hours later, we need to continue to be hard on crime. This crime continues. They're out of here. They're going to be moving down to Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee. Governor Kathy Hochul recently introduced changes to New York's bail reform. But critics say these changes won't do much. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. A Florida sheriff is being commended for his character after finding himself in an unthinkable situation and doing the right thing. The sheriff arrested his own daughter for trafficking the very drug he's working to eradicate from his county. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. No one is above the law. A Florida sheriff stayed true to this principle when he arrested his own daughter. It was last week when Franklin County Sheriff A.J. Smith arrested his daughter Kristen Kent for trafficking methamphetamine. Smith told WMBB the arrest was heartbreaking, saying the last person you ever want to arrest is one of your family members, especially your child. In a Facebook post confirming the arrest, Smith wrote, Methamphetamine does not discriminate and neither do we. It does not matter who you are. No one is immune or exempt. Hundreds of people commented on the post, commending Smith for his integrity and fairness in applying the law. One Facebook user wrote, What Sheriff Smith had to do was unimaginable. It does show how much integrity he has and demonstrates his character. I hope that you, Sheriff Smith, and your daughter can recover from this and that she beats this addiction. The sheriff told McClatchy News he will give his daughter the same tough love he advocates for in other families affected by the drug. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Big companies that are paying little or nothing in taxes are often making headlines, and 2021 was no different. Can the average person and small business do the same? NTD's Phil Zoe reports. Some of the biggest companies paid the least in taxes in 2021. They're able to have foreign companies, foreign entities that operate in the foreign countries, and through transfer pricing, transfer their income to the other countries and pay taxes at lower rates. Companies like Amazon and Verizon are paying under 10% in effective federal tax rate. AT&T and AIG are paying zero in federal income tax, according to the Center for American Progress. These differences between profits and uh, the amount of tax being owed reflects deliberate choices that policymakers have made about the tax code uh, to encourage investment in the U.S. and to uh, provide uh, incentives or disincentives for, to, for certain behaviors. Watson says many of the tax benefits are also available to individuals or small businesses. There are deductions and tax credits available to individuals. Not every dollar that is earned by an individual is subject to tax. The same thing is true of businesses, right, where they have deductions for investments that they're making. Every option that's available to the big company is available to an individual. It's just, can you afford it? Is this something that you could really justify? Is this something that you really could do? CPA Paul Miller says bigger companies know how to plan better. Smaller companies have ways too. So if I buy an asset and I get to expense it, I won't pay any taxes. So I may pay some interest or I may have to pay a note, but hopefully that piece of equipment is going to generate future income for you. That's the idea. That's the American way, like to deploy capital for future benefit. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Moving to sports now. Wimbledon's decision to ban players from Russia and Belarus has been condemned by both the men's and women's tours. 
But the chairman of the All England Club says it was the only viable option under the guidance from the UK government. NTD's Dave Martin has more. All England Club chairman Ian Hewitt said the decision to ban Russian and Belarusian players from Wimbledon is not discriminatory. It is not discrimination in the form that um, is being said. It is a considered view reached as to what is the right and responsible decision in all the circumstances. The UK government's guidance reportedly would only allow players entry if they provided written declarations that they weren't representing their countries and that they would not show support of the invasion of Ukraine. But Hewitt said that could put the safety of players and their families at risk and could benefit Russia's propaganda machine. Which we could not accept. While the ban means second-rate Daniel Medvedev, among others, won't be participating, event organizers will allow those unvaccinated against COVID to play, meaning top-ranked player Novak Djokovic will be there to defend his title. Dave Martin, NTD News. The International Swimming Federation, FINA, says it's investigating Russia's Evgeny Rylov after the decorated swimmer participated in his country's national championships this past weekend, despite receiving a nine-month ban just a few days ago. FINA announced on April 21st that it had suspended Rylov for attending a rally in support of Russian President Vladimir Putin last month. Rylov won a pair of golds in the 100-meter and 200-meter backstroke, backstroke events at last summer's Olympics. He previously said in March he would not be attending the World Championships this summer in support of banned Russian athletes. Following his announcement, though, FINA banned all Russian and Belarusian swimmers from any FINA competitions for the rest of 2022. Tennis great Roger Federer will be playing at the Swiss Indoors this October. The event in Basel announced Tuesday that Federer has officially entered the tournament and his first match there will be on October 25th. Federer, who turns 41 in August, hasn't played since a quarterfinals loss at Wimbledon last July. Soon after, he had his third knee surgery in a span of one and a half years. The 20-time Grand Slam champion previously said he expected to miss Wimbledon, which starts on June 27th. Since he last played, rival Novak Djokovic tied his Grand Slam record and Rafael Nadal passed him. The Atlanta Hawks will try to stave off elimination by the Miami Heat tonight in the first of three Game 5s in the NBA playoffs scheduled for this evening. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Atlanta star Trey Young hit the Game 3 winner, but overall has shot just 32% from the floor while averaging as many turnovers as assists in this series. But the Hawks catch a break as not only is veteran Kyle Lowry out for the second straight game with a hamstring strain, Miami's six-time All-Star Jimmy Butler will miss Game 5 with knee inflammation. In Memphis, the Grizzlies host the Timberwolves in a series that's tied at two games apiece. Memphis's John Morant has been quiet in Games 3 and 4, totaling just 27 points, while hitting only 29% of his shots. But teammate Desmond Bain has picked up the slack, hitting 15 of 27 threes of the same period while scoring 60 total points. Finally, the Suns host the Pelicans in the late matchup with the series tied at two. Phoenix will be without leading scorer Devin Booker for the third straight game as he recovers from a hamstring strain and is likely out until at least the second round should they advance that far. Dave Martin, NTD News.
Coming up after the break, deaths increased among the Los Angeles homeless population during the pandemic. But contrary to what some may think, the main cause was not the CCP virus. And in San Francisco, one family has run a business for 60 years telling people's fortunes. Kind of. We'll take a look at an iconic fortune cookie shop and see how their business is coming back to life after lockdowns. That and much more here on NTD News. Last month, 14-year-old Tyree Sampson fell to his death from an amusement park ride in Florida. Now his parents have filed a lawsuit against the ride's owner, manufacturer and landlord. They're saying the accident could have and should have been prevented. 14-year-old Sampson was 6 foot 2 and weighed 380 pounds. The lawsuit claims the defendants failed to warn him about the risk of someone his size going on the ride and didn't provide an appropriate restraint system. The lawsuit also said that while most freefall rides have a shoulder harness and a seat belt, the Orlando freefall ride had only an over-the-shoulder harness and that adding seat belts to the ride's 30 seats would have only cost $660. An attorney for the ride's owner, Orlando Slingshot, said the company was continuing to cooperate with state investigators. A federal court dismissed all challenges to a provision in Texas's fetal heartbeat abortion ban. The law, signed last year, has faced numerous challenges since its inception, but none have been successful. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals sent the challenge back to the lower court today, ordering it to dismiss all challenges to the private enforcement provisions. This is referring to the law's novel enforcement method, which allows citizens to sue anyone suspected of assisting with or performing an abortion. The law bans abortion after around six weeks pregnancy, when the fetal heartbeat can be detected. The Texas governor celebrated the court's decision, saying the law is saving babies every day. Since taking effect, abortions in the state have plummeted. Los Angeles's homeless population suffered from a higher number of deaths during the pandemic, but COVID wasn't the main cause. The main killer was illicit drugs. And TD's Daniel Hall has a look at what drugs were doing the most damage. Homeless deaths in Los Angeles County increased by 56% over the first 12 months of the COVID-19 pandemic compared to the previous 12 months. The spike was partially due to the virus, but drug overdoses are the main cause. According to a County Department of Public Health report, from April 2020 to 2021, homeless deaths increased from nearly 13,000 to just under 2,000. Fatalities from drug overdoses increased by 78% for that time period. 179 homeless people died from the CCP virus, also known as COVID-19. When excluding COVID fatalities, the county's homeless deaths still rose by 43%. County Supervisor Hilda Solis told the Epic Times that the findings in the report reflect a true state of emergency on the streets across our county. Overdose deaths among homeless people under age 50 doubled in the first year of the pandemic. When divided by race, overdose deaths among homeless Latinos jumped by 84%, 74% for blacks, and 67% among whites. Methamphetamine was involved in 75% of deaths, roughly the same as the previous year. The involvement of fentanyl in overdose deaths rose from 27% to 45%. 
County officials said they have steps planned to address homeless deaths. These include an expansion of field-based substance abuse treatment services, increased distribution of naloxone, and more infectious disease protocols in shelters and encampments. When you have questions about the future, what better way to get a hint about it than through a cookie? While fortune cookies are usually for a bite of positivity, one man and his family has made a business out of producing handmade cookies at his San Francisco shop. NTD's David Lamb shares the good fortune. As businesses return from the pandemic and thrive again, so does the level of tourism. Now in this Chinatown alley in San Francisco, one local tourist spot is getting crowded again. For most Americans, Chinese food is synonymous with fortune cookies, and people are grabbing a bite at this specialist shop, the Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory. This is a tourist attraction. I want to serve every customer walk-in, no matter it's one, ten, or hundreds. I still serve. So it's my, um, my goal, my attitude to serve the people. The owner, Kevin Chan, said he left his doors open during the pandemic, despite getting no customers. We actually are recovering from now, and people are slowly beginning to come to San Francisco Chinatown, which is great. This past weekend, locals and tourists alike came in for some cookies. Some young cookie aficionados shared their surprise at Chan's workload. It tastes it really good. It, ta it tastes better than the ones that I've had in different stores. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it tastes really good. It's, it's, it's really good. It's crazy how they made them, though, how they make them all by hand and just by, like, they get the patty and they just instantly, like, form it with yeah. their hands. They just, like, fold it. Yeah. Originally, I thought that the fortune cookies were made in, like, Japan or something. Yeah, I thought they were made This year marks the diamond anniversary for the bakery. They say they make up to 10,000 cookies a day, depending on the season. Chan says the sweet aroma comes from the baking process, taking about four and a half minutes rotating. Then they have four seconds to fold the cookie before it hardens. What does fortune cookie mean to you? Like, what does it symbolize? Fortune cookie is um, meditation message. The message will meditate people and uh, bring people hope, uh, laugh, and love. Sometimes they can come true for me. Like I know that sometimes, like sometimes they are real, and that they will like, they'll be like, you will lose your pants, and the next day I can't find my pants. Like mine is that I will never see the color purple again in my life. Always be positive. Things will be over and good. Always be positive in many ways. As for Chan's fortune, there's sure to be many more cookies in his future. David Lamb, NTD News, California. And coming up, we talked to an FCC commissioner about his letter to Apple CEO Tim Cook, accusing Cook of hypocrisy and censorship in China. This year, over 6,500 people have entered the UK illegally by crossing the English Channel in boats. But the UK has now abandoned its plan to turn them back. What brought on the change? Find out when we return on NTD News. Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. 
our viewers come understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. Federal Communications Commissioner is calling out Apple for censoring content in China, specifically Apple's blocking of the Voice of America news app in China. Let's hear more from the Commissioner. A top Federal Communications Commission officer is slamming Apple's Tim Cook over human rights. In an open letter to the CEO last Wednesday, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr accused Cook of hypocrisy. Carr says that's because Apple had done, quote, the bidding of communist China by removing Koran and Bible apps and the Voice of America mobile app from its app store in China. For decades now, we have heard from large global corporations like Apple that preach about these human right values. And at the same time, they're totally compromised in those values because they are standing shoulder to shoulder with genocidal regimes like communist China. The comment comes just after Cook gave a speech in Washington lauding free speech. The FCC official said Apple's decision to remove the Voice of America app, which is congressionally funded, was at the behest of the Chinese regime and that the move aimed to block a key tool for Chinese people looking for uncensored information. He pressed Cook to inform the FCC by this Friday whether Apple will restore Chinese access to the app. Congress only allowed state-funded Voice of America to broadcast outside of the U.S. because of concerns about unfair competition with commercial media. I hope that we are turning the page on this and that we all uh, come to realize the dangers of doing business with communist China. It's only emboldening them. It's certainly not bending them towards freedom or bringing them uh, towards our values. Quite the contrary. In a statement, Apple said the Voice of America app was removed after Chinese authorities informed Apple that it lacked a license to operate there. The company stated that Apple is only complying with local laws. We reached out to Apple for comment but didn't get a response by airtime. Shanghai authorities announced just a few dozen deaths within the last week, all caused by COVID-19. But locals say this doesn't account for the overall death toll, which is far greater. They say many people are dying from lack of food and medicine or by suicide. Earlier this month, an elderly woman in Shanghai died after jumping from a tall building. She reportedly decided to commit suicide because she couldn't bear her hunger anymore. That's amid the city's ongoing food shortage and as many residents are stuck inside with no way to buy groceries. The woman's husband was seen crying beside her body. In another clip from this month, another Shanghai woman was heard screaming from her window, saying her relative was in a dire situation and needed dialysis treatment. But with her neighborhood under strict orders to stay inside, her relative couldn't get hospital treatment and later passed away at home. In another case, a violinist in the city began suffering from acute pancreas inflammation about a week ago. Hospitals refused to take him in due to lockdown measures. Unable to bear the pain, he ended his life by jumping from a building. These cases represent just a handful of those shared online in recent weeks. 
A China affairs expert says the death toll from the Chinese Communist Party's zero-tolerance policy toward the virus is far greater than that of the pandemic itself. There must be numerous similar death cases in Shanghai and other cities. It's just that Shanghai is a special city, and these people get more attention, so we can know what happened there. From their stories, we know how much harm the CCP's autocratic zero-case policy has caused to people. Chinese Internet users have put together a digital list of death cases in Shanghai. Most of the information comes from social media posts by the deceased's family, friends or neighbors. But the list didn't last long online, quickly becoming a target for censorship. Another case on the list is that of a Shanghai nurse. She died of an asthma attack, even after the hospital she had worked for refused to treat her. What's more, even an official with China's health commission committed suicide after he couldn't handle the pressure of upholding the country's zero-tolerance virus policy. In still another case, a well-known economist's mother died just outside the door of a hospital. She had been waiting for the results of a COVID-19 test for four hours, needing to test negative before the facility would allow her inside for treatment. A former Shanghai doctor says he believes the list of unofficial deaths only makes up a small portion of the city's true death toll. What about those undisclosed death cases? Because some residents were so panicked that they didn't disclose death cases. The majority of countries outside China are learning to coexist with the virus in low numbers, especially because the Omicron variant has a low fatality rate. China is among the few still insisting on its zero COVID-19 policy, which seeks to completely eliminate the infection by shutting down stores, confining residents to their homes, and repeated mass testing for all citizens. The U.K. government has abandoned its plan to turn migrant boats back to the French side of the English Channel ahead of a judicial review of the policy. Campaigners challenging the tactic called this a humiliating crime-down by the government, while the Home Office defended efforts to prevent the illegal crossings. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. The Home Office says it is no longer planning to turn back migrant boats illegally crossing the English Channel. The government abandoned the controversial policy ahead of a challenge in the High Court, but defended its rights to consider all options. A Home Office spokesperson said the tactic complies with both domestic and international law, but that there are extremely limited circumstances when you can safely turn boats back in the English Channel. Campaigners have welcomed the change in policy. Mark Sawatka, the General Secretary of the Public and Commercial Services Union, calls it a humiliating climb-down by the government. He says the pushback manoeuvre is extremely dangerous and lives have undoubtedly been saved. The pushback policy is similar to Australia's Operation Sovereign Borders, introduced in 2013. Australia's policy also received heavy criticism, but succeeded in reducing illegal boat crossings from thousands per year to few, if any. So far this year, over 6,500 people have entered the UK illegally by crossing the English Channel in boats. In 2021, more than 28,000 people successfully made the perilous journey, compared with over 8,400 in 2020. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Efforts are being stepped up in Ireland to help thousands of Ukrainian refugees improve their English language skills. Less than half of them are believed to speak English with proficiency, creating a barrier to their integration into Irish society. NTD's Joy Duguid has more. 
This school in Monkstown in South County Dublin is one of over 100 locations across Ireland offering English language lessons to newly arrived Ukrainian refugees. The teachers are both Irish and Ukrainian. The government has fast-tracked enrolment of Ukrainian teachers into the education system to meet the growing demand. Less than half of the refugees are understood to speak good English posing a significant hurdle to integration into Irish society. This woman fled from the Russian-speaking Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. I'm studying English because I want to integrate into the Irish community and to be able to socialize. In general, I'm a very talkative person and I feel lonely when I can't explain myself or even say thank you for what people are doing for me. Military-aged men are prevented from leaving Ukraine, so over 95% of the English-language students enrolled here are women, along with their children. Children of all ages get an introduction to English. The teachers say the teenagers often speak better English than their parents. Karen McKinney, who is hosting them at her home, says she's amazed by their resilience. I couldn't imagine somebody throwing me and my family in the middle of the Ukraine and me having no Ukrainian and just be expected to get on with it, to live with strangers, to have everything in your life, to be reliant on the kindness of strangers. I just couldn't imagine doing it. And yet they do it with such bravery and such resilience and such a calmness and dignified presence that it just astounds me. A volunteer teacher at the school says the classes also provide social benefits for the refugees and allow them to build up their support networks. Government figures show as many as 500 or 600 refugees are arriving in Ireland daily. Approximately 23,000 fleeing the war in Ukraine have already arrived in the country, which the government expects to rise to 40,000 by the end of April. Joy Dugid, NTD News. Berlin's Poletsky Institute is collecting testimonies from refugees about possible war crimes in Ukraine. The organization is tapping into its experience researching 20th century history, including Nazi crimes in World War II. Here's more on that story. The Poletsky Institute is named after a Polish cavalry officer who risked his life to document the situation in the Auschwitz concentration camp. Mateusz Falkowski the deputy head of the institute in Berlin said researchers are creating an archive of oral history. I hope that Ukraine will not be forgotten. So I am afraid. I'm afraid that after some weeks, months, years, the people in the West will just forget. And the hope is that they will not forget. That is, that they will remember. And in that case, they'll be able to rely on these interviews, on these materials, on these documents. The International Criminal Court started a formal investigation into possible war crimes and crimes against humanity in Ukraine after Russia invaded two months ago. More than 369,000 people fleeing the war have been registered in Germany. The witness interviews start by asking for a short written description of the witness's own situation during the war, then follow up with specific questions created with the help of lawyers. So there are questions, for example, about what happened on a specific day in this place. So in Mariupol or in Kherson or other places, were they there and what exactly did they see and when? And whether it's about, for example, the destruction of civilian infrastructure, whether it's about the destruction of monuments or perhaps churches, 
or about sexual violence or other aspects of violence during the war. The UN's Human Rights Office said there was growing evidence of Russian war crimes in Ukraine, including signs of indiscriminate shelling and summary executions, and said Ukraine also appeared to have used weapons with indiscriminate effects. Russia describes its incursion as a special military operation to disarm and denazify Ukraine. It denies targeting civilians or committing war crimes. Coming up, a herd of cows get their first chance in a long time to roam the green fields in Sweden. Dozens of visitors watch the annual cow release, marking the start of spring for the Swedes. A manuscript writing cafe in Japan makes a great place for writers to fight procrastination. It welcomes those who are chasing deadlines. That and more on NTD News. A herd of cows get their first chance in a long time to roam the fields of a dairy farm in southern Sweden, following a long, dark winter cooped up inside. Dozens of visitors gathered on the farm to witness the annual cow release, a marker of the start of spring in the northern European nation. Despite some initial trepidation when the barn door opens, the cattle soon charged into the open fields, running and hopping around as they stretched their legs for the first time in several months. The cows will now spend the spring and summer months roaming the fields until they return to the barn in September or October. Due to Sweden's northern position, daylight levels vary considerably over the course of a year. In January, daylight only lasts for a few hours, while in the country's north, there is round-the-clock darkness. A special cafe in Japan provides a productive workplace for writers who are catching up on their manuscripts. There's no way to walk out without meeting their set goals. Let's take a look. Procrastination is always a headache for writers caught up in deadlines. Now, this manuscript writing cafe is offering a cure. I have finished about 80% of the work. I think it's good to be able to concentrate on writing the articles without doing other unnecessary things. The cafe opened in April in West Tokyo. It offers a clean, well-lit environment for writers, editors and manga artists. Upon entering, customers are asked to write down their goals and the time it will take to complete them. The Manuscript Writing Cafe is a cafe for people to concentrate. When they enter the cafe, they need to write down their goals in the beginning, such as finishing a 3,000-word script or a column of two pages, and they can't pay until they achieve their goals. Cafe staff will hold customers accountable by checking their progress. There are different levels of supervision. They may confirm they have completed their task when they make payment, or they may ask for progress checks every hour. <laughs> customers may even choose to have staff watch over them as they work. The cafe went viral on social media, and people are saying that the rules are scary or that it's like you're being watched from behind. But actually, instead of monitoring customers, I'm here to support them. I would like everyone to finish their work. The owner says his inspiration came from a famous Japanese children's story. It describes an eccentric restaurant that sets specific instructions for customers to follow. One Chinese customer says she hoped the owner would take his business global. The demand to meet a deadline is a shared demand globally. No matter Japanese or people overseas, 
everyone would encounter a painful point when working with the deadline. So I think it will be great if this cafe can open overseas in the future. The cafe offers unlimited self-serve coffee and tea bags, along with a wide variety of beverages. The charge is around $1 for the first 30 minutes and about $2 every hour after. Customers can pay only after they achieve the goals they set when entering. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.